Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Wayne States was known across the country as a wonderful pastor, a singer, and an evangelist. He was promoted to heaven in 2009, but his ministry lives on through the Avenue of the Convention pulpit. Listen to this wonderful sermon preached at the Midwest Pilgrim Holiness Camp Meeting in 1994 that he titles, God's Holy Place. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. these moments. We thank Thee for this beautiful song. This is one of our favorite songs. Oh, we love Thee, Jesus. We love Thee today. Pray again, Thou will shut us in with Thee, Lord, for these moments that the power of Thy presence might invade the atmosphere anew and we might get a new grip on Thee. We might see things that we maybe didn't see before. May the light of Thy presence bring peace to our hearts because we want whatever God wants. We're trusting Thee for victory today. May the enemy of our soul be driven back. Oh God, please let the atmosphere be clear until the gospel can find its way to that heart that's so needy today. We pray that somehow Thy word shall come alive and the needs shall be met. Prepare us, we pray, for the evening service. But Lord, this, let this service be what it ought to be that we might be prepared. Everything thou dost do, we'll honor thee and give thee praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In Ecclesiastes, I would like to read this afternoon the eighth chapter of Ecclesiastes. Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done unto the Son. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt, 
And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. For just a moment, I would like to consider this 11th verse. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. It seems that this is a vivid picture in this day because God has not sent judgment. We seem to think we're getting by. But friend, there's coming a day when God's going to say it's enough and we're not going to get by. But I want to come to my text in this 10th verse. And I saw, and so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. And I'd like to talk about God's holy place for a few moments. Uh, I thank God for that place where he meets us uh, and comes and the clouds disappear and the devil seems to have to flee and we find ourselves in his holy place. Things change there. Isaiah went in to the place of worship. And he said it seemed that the doorpost moved. And the place was filled with smoke. And he recognized that God was there and fell on his face and cried out. I am a man of unclean lips and dwell among a people of unclean lips. And Isaiah there poured his heart out to God. But not far on in the scripture you say... You'll read where God said, who'll go for me? And Isaiah jumped up and said, here, I'll go for you, I'll go. And I believe that that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to get in the place. We're willing to take up our cross and follow him, whatever it may mean, in God's holy place. Out in the backside of the desert, Moses found God's holy place. Walking along, and there, a burning bush. And then he recognized the bush was on fire, and yet it was not consumed. And he said, I'll turn aside to see what this is. And God spoke to him out of that bush and gave him instructions. Oh, I want to tell you, there's a place out there somewhere that God wants to talk to us about our lives. Yes, he wants to talk to us about what he wants us to do and what he wants us not to do. I thank God for those places where he comes in a special manner and touches our hearts and our lives. I'm glad for his holy place this, this afternoon. That keeps us in the place where we can be what he wants us to be. Some place that may be kind of a strange place where that place would become holy. I remember Bruce Hawthorne telling about his dad. He always had a car. In fact, there was a company in that area that furnished him with a car until he didn't have to buy one. But this meeting, for some reason, he felt he ought to hitchhike. And I... I can see George Hawthorne, I can see him out hitchhiking. And uh, out there hitchhiking, a man stopped and picked him up. And as they drove down the road, uh, George began to testify. And this man said, well, I'm a Christian. He said, well, praise the Lord. I can just almost hear him say, we're going to have a time today. After they were down the road for some time, the man pulled in in front of a bar. 
And George said, what you going to do? He said, well, I'm going in and drink a beer. He said, I thought you said you was a Christian. Why? Well, he said, there's nothing wrong with drinking a beer. He said, I'm just going to go in and get a beer. And George said, all right, you go in and get a beer. I'm going to go in and pray. He said, you're going to what? He said, I'm going in and pray. Well, he said, come on. He walked in the door and walked up to the bar. And he said, I want a beer. And this fellow wants to pray. He said, he wants to do what? He said he wants to pray. A policeman was standing back a ways from, from the bar. And uh, uh, I, as I remember, he said, the policeman said, you do and we'll arrest you. And, and uh, George said, well, you got the job and fell on his knees and began to pray. And I can still hear uh, uh, his son as he said he began to bore. And I can just imagine, I can almost hear him as he begins to pray. And he prays louder and longer and prays uh, the old bartender's hanging across the bar weeping like a baby. The policeman comes up and hangs his head over a chair and he's weeping and crying. I tell you, it makes a difference. Sometimes even a bar might become a holy place when a holy man comes and God touches him and he gets through and touches heaven. George said, I came back through there after my revival meeting. I came back through on the bus. And he said, as I rode that bus through town, I looked up and saw a big sign on the front of that bar. It said, this bar's closed because a preacher prayed. I tell you, I think we might find some holy places out there if somehow our hearts was in tune to where we could, we could make that a holy place. If somehow God, if we'd let God have his way in our lives as we ought to have. Oh, I'm glad for his holy place today. I'm glad where you can find victory is in the place where we say yes to God, where we let go and let God have his way, whatever cause, whatever cause. I'm glad for the Holy Ghost that keeps us and shows us the way. I want to stay in that holy place. I know there's the preacher preached this morning about being in the valley. We've got to be in the valley sometimes, but that can be God's holy place where his presence will come and lift us above every problem and every trial and every test. I suppose maybe a crude illustration of a man in Phoenix that I used to pastor. He said his, uh, he was going to see, or maybe he was going to the funeral of his father. And uh, he said as he got ready to go, they were going to drive. And then the snowstorms came in the northern Arizona and the mountains uh, and the roads were some closed, I guess, and he decided that he wouldn't go. He couldn't go in the car. So he said, I went out and got on the airplane. And he said, after I got up there, suddenly I recognized that I was above the storm. I was above the snow. He said, I was above every obstacle that was keeping me from going. And I believe with all my heart that God has a highway where we can be above every obstacle would keep us from being what God wants us to be in his holy place. Out there, he has a holy place somewhere. And I pray that we'll press our way in. And when it seems hard and when it seems difficult, I believe God will overshadow us and he'll make it an easier way. He'll show us the way. He'll bore a hole through if that's necessary to get us through. I'm glad today for that holy place where he comes and, and sets us free and keeps us from becoming too discouraged. Oh, I know there's days of discouragement. but there's times when it seems there's no way through. But then I discover there is a way through. He's been with me through every tunnel. I've been through some long, dark tunnels. But I discovered that he was right there with me. He never asked us to go any place but what he'll go. I'm glad for his wonderful presence in my life. 
Oh, yes, God's holy place. God's holy place. John Stuart Martin, one of my old preachers out in California when I was superintendent out there, he told about how when he was 19 years of age, the doctor said he had a disease that he had six months to live. He said, I was a member of a cult, didn't know anything about Jesus Christ, had never heard a message of real salvation. And he said, a voice spoke to me and said, well, why don't you go over there and jump off the bridge? That was up here. It was up in the state of Michigan. Why don't you jump off of the bridge? And so he said, I was on my way. I was going to jump off of the bridge and get it over with. And he said, as I walked down the street, I noticed a little crowd over there on the side of the street on a corner. A little crowd had gathered, and he said, I didn't know what was going on, but they were over there singing, and he said, I thought I'll go over and see what it is. And he said, I started to cross the street, but he said, that other boy said, go on. And I'd like to tell you, friend, the devil's voice is pretty strong. It's pretty strong. That's the reason a lot of people are lost today is because that voice has been strong and it's pulled them in the wrong direction. And he said, I got out in the middle of the street and that voice said, go on. What you're going to do, no use you suffering these six months. You might as well get it over with. And he said, I walked back up on the sidewalk and headed for the bridge. But then again, he said, that voice, that voice, that it seemed like a strange voice to him said, but why don't you go over, why don't you go over a little bit and listen? Well, he finally made it across the street. He said, I never saw a crowd like that in my life before. That little wholeness crowd that was having a street meeting. They were testifying. Yes, I'm talking about where the glory is. Seemed like we don't have those much anymore. I know the law is kind of and the law, if it keeps on like it is, we're not going to be having a meeting like this either. That's right. But he said, I got over there and listened to them as they sang. He said, I, I never saw a crowd like that before. Finally, when they got through, he said, one came around and said, why don't you go down here? We're going to have a service and a mission. Well, he said, I believe it will. And so he went to the meeting. I don't remember how many services he was in before he got saved. I don't remember anymore. But I do remember this. He said, I heard him preach on wholeness, and I thought, man, if I could just get sanctified before I get saved, it seemed to be a lot easier. Well, I can understand that. You get rid of the old carnal mind, it wouldn't be hard to get saved if you get rid of that first. I, I, I see that, but that's not the way it works. But Brother John Stuart Martin got saved and sanctified. Oh, in God's holy place, out there on the street and down to that mission. Well, just let me go a little farther. You'd be surprised what God would do for you if you just let him have his way. He said, after I'd gotten saved, and he said, the, I noticed they didn't start the mission service that night. They just, they just kept waiting and waiting, and I thought, what's the matter with these people just being late this way? That, that doesn't seem right. And finally, he said, a lady came over to me and said, I have the strangest feeling that you ought to play the piano tonight. And he said, why, lady, I couldn't play that piano if my life depended on it. And he said, then another one came. And said, I have a strange feeling you ought to play the piano. He said, I don't understand this. Why? He said, I don't know one note from another. He said, eight people come to me. And he said, when the eighth one left, I said in my heart, I've made a fool out of myself for the devil. It wouldn't hurt me to make a fool out of myself once for God. And John Stuart Martin walked to that piano tonight, and God gave him the gift of music. As he sat there, he said, I played every song they asked me to play. 
Oh, and you ought to heard him years. He'd come to our college in Phoenix and sit there and play that piano with those fingers going across there. And our students would be blessed. One of the greatest preachers that I had on my district. I'm saying tonight in God's holy place, there's a lot of things that happen. I'm afraid sometimes that we just neglect getting into that place like he wants us to. He might help us with our talents. He might help us with all that we have to do. And he's asking us to do if we just find his holy place. But I, I wish I could stay there and I'm not going to be long this afternoon. I wish I could stay. Oh, let me. I've got this one more. And I know I mentioned this name. It probably is going to bring a uh on the... But uh, I heard this and I don't believe the man would lie at least. I, I don't think he would lie. On Dr. Dobson's radio program. I heard the other day, he told about a woman that had prayed through that her wicked, sinful husband would get saved. God had promised her. And one day they called her and told that her husband had been killed. And she said, I don't believe it. Said, you bring his body home. Don't take it to the morgue. I don't know just how they said it, but don't... He said, bring his body here. And Dr. Dobson said they finally consented that brought that body into their home. And this little lady went in, got a pan of warm water. And I'm telling you what, and I, I can't believe that they would say an untruth on the radio. I just can't believe they would. But he said, this woman got this pan of water and started washing this dead man's feet. They had pronounced him dead. And suddenly, he sat up and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm washing your feet. Well, now I want to tell you, folks, you, you, now I know you're awful quiet, and, I, and you, you, but, uh, but we, we just, God still lives. I don't know anything about this, but I'm just, I believe that God's still able to do the supernatural thing. If we'll just somehow get in his holy place, uh, that woman, she declared that she had prayed through that God would save her husband. Well, I want to tell you, friend, if God promised to save him and he wasn't saved you'll have to bring him back to life to save him if that's what he did I don't know but I'm saying this in God's holy place uh, there's miracles that still happen uh, if we're in the place where we have our faith to believe God but I want to come to my text and so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. I suppose a lot of times I wondered what this scripture meant. What did the preacher, the preacher wrote this book. What did he mean? I've seen the wicked buried who have come and gone from the place of the holy. It was my privilege to be at the North Napa Nazarene Church many years ago, a tremendous church, I guess, We'd preached to between four and 500 people every Sunday morning in that great church. We had revival, 165 young people in our young people's department. I've, saw, I've seen a crowd of those young people pray all night long. I've been over there as they walked that floor and prayed all night long for revival. And you know what we had? We had revival. But I'll never forget one Sunday morning as I stood on the platform. We were in revival, last Sunday revival. The evangelist was preaching on Sunday morning. And when he gave the altar call, my old heart began to pump. And I walked down one of those long aisles back to my left, a group of young people, about 35 young people, mostly unsaved. 
And I walked into a young man by the name of Gerald Gibson. I said, Gerald, wouldn't you go this morning? And he was not unkind to me. He was not unkind. I believe he loved me, and I think he knew I loved him. But he shook his head. I said, Gerald, will you promise me you'll think seriously today? And he nodded his head that he would. I stepped to the girl he was engaged to, standing next to him, and I got about the same answer from her. I walked back to the platform. My heart felt like a piece of lead. The, the, the service closed, and then that night, of course, a large congregation, maybe seven or 800 people that night, the revival meeting. I guess I didn't recognize they weren't there. They'd gone to another town up the way to some rallies that day, and Lila Bogus was the girl's name. She told me later, she said, Brother States, I, I told Gary we ought to go back home tonight, but he said, no, we'll just go to church here. I think it was the second Monday night after this service, or the second Monday, I was over in the church with the Sunday school superintendent. He was doing some electrical work. My little boy come running in and said, Daddy, you're wanted on the phone. And I went over with Sister Gibson on the phone. She said, Brother States, an awful tragedy's happened. Gerald was drowned last night in the Hayes County, Kansas flood. And I tell you, I felt like I'd been shot. In my mind, I've been up and down that aisle many times since then. I thought, oh God, did I do everything I could? But I do understand what the preacher's talking about now. I've seen the wicked buried who have come and who have gone from the place of the holy. I saw Gerald after that. Yes, I saw him. I, in fact, I went down to the train to meet him, but he didn't get out of the chair car. He came out of the mail car in a box. And I went down to the mortuary in a little while and walked in very late. He's not shaking his head now. No, he's realizing the realities of a burning, flaming hell because he said no to God. Oh, I understand what the preacher's saying. I've seen the wicked buried who have come and gone from the place of the holy. You've come. I wonder if you'll go from that place. This is God's holy place today. God's presence is here this afternoon. It'd be an awful thing to walk out of His presence and miss it. If Brother Griffith were here, he'd say, Wayne, I understand. He pastored in Augusta, Kansas many years ago. He said, there was a young lady in my church that she just refused to take the way. I see a lot of them in the church that are refusing. But he said, she all she was interested in was a party. And I'd like to tell you, God doesn't need a weenie roast to run his program. If you misunderstand, I'm not antisocial. But I tell you, when the church begins to run on a social program, God just picks these things up and leaves. And he says all she'd be around wanting to have a party and wanting to have a social, and that was all she was interested in. And he said one day, he said, I said to my wife, you know, we've got to go over and talk to her. 
He said, we went over to the house, and she was very courteous. She invited us in. But a faithful pastor. Pastors, to be faithful, sometimes you have to stick your neck out. And Brother Griffith said, we've come to talk to you today about your soul. Well, I don't know why you think anything wrong with me, Brother Griffith. Nothing wrong with me. I'm all right. That kind of seems the attitude of a lot today. But I still say thank God for a faithful pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Friend, if you, if you condone what they're doing, you're an unfaithful pastor. Well, I didn't get too many amens on that, but if you, at the judgment, that's the way you're going to see it. And he said, finally, she got up and went over by the door and stood. I knew, she said, I knew it was time for us to go. We had prayer and went on our way. Some weeks later, they was having a preacher's convention at Brother Griffith's church and preachers from all over the district, a great crowd had gathered in. And he said, in the middle of that convention, God, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, you need to talk to her now. And he went and got his wife and said, God just spoke to me and said, we should take her now and talk to her. They got her out of the congregation, went upstairs to a Sunday school room, and there again, he said, I suppose you know why we're here. He, she said, I suppose because you think something's wrong with me. Well, I would know there's something wrong by the attitude in the first place. And he tried his best to deal with her, but she wouldn't listen. He said, we went back out and went on to the car. And he said, when I got in the car, that burden left just like that. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you better thank God there's somebody carrying a burden for you. Because when the burden lifts, no doubt it's too late. I don't remember how many days later her husband called him. You see, her husband wasn't a Christian. In fact, he said, if that's religion, what she's got, I don't want it. I'd like to tell you there's some reason why some husbands are not saved. There's a reason why some wives are not saved. Because the other partner doesn't have a speck of respect for what they call religion. But this husband called Brother Griffith and said, Brother Griffith, my wife is very ill. Would you come? She's in the hospital. And of course, Brother Griffith immediately went to the hospital, went in and found this young lady now in a coma. The doctors had checked every way. They could find nothing physically wrong with her. And yet she's in a coma, laying there staring into space. Brother Griffith said, we sat there all night long. The second night, he said, I sat up all night long, her and her husband and I. And he said, the third night, we're up maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, for the first time, she acted like she was conscious. And he said, suddenly, she sat straight up in bed and she was staring straight at me and her husband saying, oh, honey, don't you recognize the pastors here, Brother Griffith? But I've heard Brother Griffith say a lot of times, no, she wasn't staring at me. She was staring at that thing that she would not admit. You're going to look at it one of these days, friends. You're going to look at it one of these days, 
And you're going you're gonna to give an account for it one of these days. You're going to look. Yes, you are. You're going to look at it. He said she stared and stared what seemed such a long time. And then suddenly he said that she let out the most hideous scream I'd ever heard in my life and fell on her pillow dead. Now the funeral. Oh, I know the preacher, he's supposed to have an easy life, but there's some things that's mighty difficult, I'll tell you. You've tried to be faithful, and yet they slip through your fingers. The funeral's over, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And now I can see Brother Griffith so vivid in my in my thinking and in my vision as he stands there after it's all over. The crowd is dispersed, but he stands there and I can assure you tears are rolling down his face. He stood and stared at that casket of that, over that grave. Finally, the grave diggers, they want to get this over with, get it filled in, and they finally put the casket down and Brother Griffith just stands there. They start throwing in a few clods and then they look over and say, Preacher, why are you staying here? You've never done this before. And then he told them the story. He said, Boys, I did everything I knew to try to help this young lady to get in. But she would not listen and she slipped through my fingers and gone to hell. And he would say, I've seen the wicked buried who have come and gone from the place of the holy." Oh, I hope no more pastors in this congregation. I hope that you don't find out what this means next week or next month or next year. I hope you don't find out. I hope the people in our churches will rally and respond and will not go that way, but they'll say yes to Jesus and walk in the light and do what God wants them to do. I trust that's what will happen. But I fear, I fear many are disregarding everything that God says in these last days. Oh, somehow that we might Listen before it's eternally too late. Just won't listen, that's all. I guess I'm thinking of Brother Griffith today, but also in that church, a little girl got a dreaded disease. Smallpox, as I remember now. They were dying like flies. A little girl from that church, from his church, is... Her mother was a wonderful Christian. Her father was a sinner. He wouldn't mind God. And that man came over to Brother Griffith and said, Brother Griffith, would you come and pray for my little girl? It looks like she's not going to make it. Would you pray for her that God would heal her? And again, Brother Griffith was a faithful pastor. He looked at him and said, I'm not sure I can do that. He said, you see, I've been praying that God would save you at any cost. Would you promise me and promise God if he heals your little girl that you'd get saved? Oh, yes, Brother Griffith, I will. Would you let me warn you, friends, you better never make a vow unless you really mean it. You better never make it, friends. You better never make it. Brother Griffith went over to the house. He didn't go in the house because it was quarantined, but he got outside that bedroom window and got on his knees and began to pray. And that little mother testified within, within an hour. Those splotches began to dry up on that child's body. She was running through the house. God had touched her almost immediately. And the first Sunday went by and he didn't go to church. 
I wonder if I'm painting somebody's picture here today. The second Sunday went by and he didn't go to church. The third Sunday, the fourth Sunday. I don't know how many times his wife asked me about going. But the sixth Sunday, she said, Honey, aren't you going to go to church? You know that God touched our little girl. Oh, he said, I know that. You promised Brother Griffith and you promised God that you'd go to church and give your heart to God. He said, I'll go tonight. Of course, he was going to go ahead and work on his job on Sunday. He got careless. And somehow got a hold of a wire that burnt his body to a crisp like They've taken to the morgue and Brother Griffith goes down to the morgue. As he walked in, the mortician trying to get that clotted blood out of those veins so he could embalm him. He looked up and said, Preacher, I've never had such a mess in all of my life. I know we think that morticians are hard-hearted. I know they couldn't ball over everyone that was brought in. I know that. But uh, Brother Griffith said, Would you mind, I'd like to tell you a story. Always oh, said, Preacher, go ahead. I'm tired anyway, trying to get this embalming fluid in this man. He said, and then he told him how his little girl was healed. He promised that he'd come to church. Brother Griffith said, when I looked, tears were rolling down the face of that mortician. He said, Preacher, he just missed it one service, didn't he? I wonder how many services before we miss it. I've seen the wicked buried who have come and gone from the place of the holy. I'm glad that not all do that. I'm glad not all do that. No, up in Sydney, Montana, in a morning service with a crowd probably not as large as this, the Holy Ghost was there. And the preacher gave the altar call, and the woman will be back to my right. She was weeping. And finally she came to the altar. And almost the same time on this side, a young man came down the aisle and came to the altar. And then they came from every direction. And they began to pray. And they prayed and they prayed. And finally this young woman raised up. She turns around. She's looking for somebody. And then, would you believe almost exactly the same time this young man raises up. He's looking for somebody. And they don't see who they're looking for. So they start to turn back and then their eyes met. And they jump to their feet and rush to the center of the church. And a home was welded back together that morning. I want to tell you, God, God can weld them back together. The divorce courts will ruin it, but God can weld them back together. He can take care of the home. God is our need, folks. In that holy place, that's where we need to get to solve our problems and meet our needs. But not only that, yes, that little girl come running up to her mother said, Mommy, Daddy can come home now, can't he? I'll tell you the innocent party, that's the children, that's the innocent party. The little boy said, Daddy, you will come home, won't you? 
But you know, there was something else happened that morning. There were three, or there were two ladies that had fussed and fought one another for years. Oh, of course, both of them saved and sanctified. One sat on one side and one the other, you know. I pastored a church. I, I mean, I pastored two churches in one, in one building one time a long time ago. It was according to which one got in the aisle first to which one out first. If this crowd got in the aisle first, well, this crowd was awful busy. They had a lot to talk about. And if this crowd got in the aisle first, this crowd had an awful lot to talk about. I'm glad it was a little different than that when I left, but oh, you'd be surprised how much of that's in our churches today. Be surprised how much of that is in our churches. Oh, that somehow God could wake us up and help us. But these two ladies... You know what they discovered? They, they raised up to look for one another and they were kneeling side to side. Didn't even know it right here in the center of the altar. And they started to turn to look for one another. They looked one another right in the eye. And there are those ladies now grabbed one another around the neck and one said, oh, it's my fault. They almost got in the fuss telling them which fault it was. But this is what I want, to hear, I want you to hear, folks. Back in the back of that church was a crowd of young people. There were 23 young people got out of their seats when they saw those women that had fought for years and fussed for years. 23 young people come to the altar that night or that day, and I want to tell you, revival was on. Oh, God help us to get in His holy place and admit where we are and admit we're wrong. If we are wrong, oh, somehow God help us to find that place where we can have revival once again. I believe God wants to do something special for us. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Spend past I don't